10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, good evening. I'm Jeff Pedley. It's Tuesday night and it's the Late Late Show. Tonight we are talking about resilience. Resilience, the capacity to recover quickly from issues. We have two amazing guests joining us tonight who are both working with young people to build resilience. Welcome to the Late Late Show. My name is Jeff Pedley and I'm very excited to speak with you tonight. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, good evening, happy Tuesday. I hope you have had a really nice start to work if you have been in, uh, started on the teaching treadmill this week. It was my first day today getting back into the swing of things we had our students in for the first time and i know a lot of our listeners are starting with this new academic year now we are here to support you we are here all the way through on teachers talk radio providing you with the talk of teachers uh there have been some excellent shows over this week some excellent uh excellent shows on the channel and if you do want to keep in touch with us you can contact with us you can contact us at tt radio 2022 likewise you can contact me through twitter at jeff underscore pedley and yeah it's been a very very busy week uh, on the station before i introduce our two very very uh, amazing guests that we we have with us tonight i'd just like to go through uh, i don't know if any of you have just been listening to the twitter spaces with with tom rogers he had an amazing guest on there called kathy weston who is responsible for tooled up tips uh, you can find on the hashtag at parent tips and it was a really really good listen we work on two platforms here on Teachers Talk Radio. We have the, uh, of course, the online shows, but also uh, the live shows uh, through Podbean, which then goes out on Spotify, etc. However, we also have uh, Twitter Spaces, which are, which is really really interesting as well. As I say tonight, uh, you can go onto Twitter, you can listen back to everything that that Tom and Kathy have been talking about. Some of the quotes that stood out for me within the uh, within the show earlier today. I mean, the the thing that really impressed that really impressed me uh, listening to the show earlier is or were the practical tips that teachers could use within the classroom to help them day by day. And what was really interesting, or what really stood out for me, was this dynamic between pupil and teacher. That this quote, the dynamic between pupil and teacher, can have a significant impact on pupil mental mental health and and the power being within the relationship. And again, please go back and have a listen. There were some amazing tips uh, within there, and it was really really interesting to listen to. We have got some amazing shows on Teachers Talk Radio this week, as I've said already, and please check out the website, have listened back to some amazing presenters this week. And again, we've got a jam-packed week coming up. Now, moving forward, my uh, show tonight is all about resilience in the classroom. And I am very, very excited to have uh, a guest with me today who has been... Uh, 
I'd, needless to say, a, a multi-talented guest uh, called Jasmine Foley. Now, you may have heard Jasmine Foley before. She's She's been on a few different platforms recently uh, talking about and, and her charitable project all about resilience in the primary classroom. Now, uh, I was fortunate to speak to, to Jasmine early in the week, and I have to say I was really, really impressed by the amount of things that she that she does and basically her passion for, for the things that she's been doing within the, the classroom. So without further ado, Jasmine, are you there? Can you hear me okay? Yes, I am. Hi, thank you for having me here. Hello, how are you doing tonight? Yeah, I'm really well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. It's our first week from a teaching point of view, so I probably shouldn't be doing this show tonight. I've got, uh, <laughs> I, I literally have got, I don't know, 20 things on my to-do list that need to be done by tomorrow, but it's it's fine. I have a 90-minute commute into work, so I get a lot of things done on the train on the way in. Uh, now, I've, needless to say, I, I, I've, I've teased the audience a little bit here because I've I, I haven't given a lot of background, but I've I just said that you're multi-talented. I hope I'm not uh, <laughs> you're not getting too overwhelmed here. But could you tell us a little bit about yourself and 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 like I say, and what you're getting involved with at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure I'd say that, but I'll definitely take the compliment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I'm actually so I'm currently competing in Miss Great Britain. Um, so that's one thing that I do. I'm the current Miss Lincoln and I compete in Miss Great Britain final, which is next month. Um, and as a part of that, the whole reason I'm doing that and the message that I want to spread is about building resilience in young people. Um, in my working life, I work in marketing. I'm actually starting lecturing in marketing um, back at university on the course that I did myself. Mm. Um, so I'm the University of Lincoln, month, so. sorry, at the University of Lincoln, I believe. Yes, it is. Yeah. So um, I'm actually starting that next month. So that's kind of my careers in marketing. Um, luckily, that ties in really well because it's helped me to be able to market the things that I'm doing. But really, my passion is around mental health, positive mental health, being an advocate for that. Um, and now I'm a mum as well. I've got a 15 month old daughter. So for me, it's all about how we can promote positive mental health in young people. And that kind of ended up um, with me launching my project and trying to do stuff in primary schools as well. Amazing. How how you find being a mother at the moment? Yeah, I love it. Um, I, I've always known that I wanted to be a mum, <laughs> but it's finding, you know, you want to try and get your life in order as much as possible, which when I say that now, it seems crazy because I don't think you're ever ready to have a child. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, definitely. Like, I love being a mum. But yeah, there's also so much that goes into it, which is why I think things to educate parents and teachers is so important as well. Just as a side note, what's I mean, I've just come back from uh, from my honeymoon, and I'm I'm really interested in this. Uh, there's a lot of uh, <laughs> I don't know the next stage of our life, and a lot of baby talk at the minute. A lot of people giving me advice in lots of different different directions. What advice would you? Do you have any advice from a mother point of view? What would be your best piece of mothering advice? I think, to be honest, to just go in with no expectations, which I know, like, I know that sounds like rubbish advice, but actually I think when you have a child, there's so much you, you feel like you want to know everything. 
yeah and you and I, I know it's quite a cliche thing that everyone says but you really do just learn as you go I think um yeah I've, I'm learning every day with having Mila and I think if you you know have the right intentions and you want to do things right then you will just you know you it just comes with time doesn't it and with time with them and yeah. getting to know them as their own their own little person they're all so different so I think there's only so much you can prepare you've just got to go in ready to expect anything <laughs> <laughs> and having a mother has it changed you from a, a a professional point of view has it has it have you maybe gone in a different direction has it made you see things differently since you've become a mother yeah definitely my perspective in uh, just on life you know has changed so much um and i think yeah the things that are important to me especially career wise like i've always been very career driven um and like i say i always wanted to have my life in order that's always kind of what i was focused on but actually now i realize that having um good quality of life and having that time to spend with her and just more yeah. meaning to life I suppose which you know with my project being able to grow that and do that in my spare time has been a huge thing for me because it's um you know it's just it's enabled me to do the things that I'm passionate about and I want her to learn that she can do whatever she wants in life and you know follow her dream she doesn't have to go down you know the expected path I suppose yeah and uh, as as you you will imagine this this link between her and a mother has kind of kick started this uh the, the passion that you've that you have for your project would you like to give us a few just just a little bit of an overview because we are going to go into more detail in it when with a minute i know that we're going to be joined by uh or we we're being joined here by anna simmons as well who's who's been uh working with you very closely on this project uh just give us a little bit of an overview of of what you're doing in schools yeah absolutely so the project's called raising them resilient um so i had my own experience of anxiety in my early 20s and that's also plays a part in why i'm so passionate about mental health um, and why i really want to pass on the things that i learned to other people um, and then obviously having my daughter it made me really channel that into how i can help young people um, and especially like primary school age, because, you know, one in six children in the classroom have a probable mental disorder, um, which is terrifying. And I, I think it's only likely to get worse from like the pandemic and the cost of living crisis and all those things we're yeah. going through at the moment. Um, so for me, it was really about how can we prevent children getting to that point and how can we reduce that st that statistic, basically. So we create free worksheets um, that parents and teachers can use with primary school aged children um, to be able to build their resilience, really, to get them to understand feelings, how to deal with them, um, lots of different activities that they can do. And we've also, myself and Dr. Anna Simmons, who's joined joined us as well, have been mm -hmm. going into like schools um, to do workshops around resilience. And we're also doing um, some workshops with some businesses as well. Um, so, yeah, it's really just about spread, spreading the message about how we can build resilience in young people um, and hopefully prepare them for challenges that they may face in their lives. Amazing. I'm going to uh, bring Anna in now, if that's OK. Uh, Anna, can you hear me? Uh, OK. Hello, Anna. I have unmuted you. Can you hear me OK?
Hello. Hello, Anna. Can you hear me? Okay, there. I can hear you. Are you able to hear me? Yes, I oh, can. Loud good. and clear. Good. <laughs> Sorry, I have been here the whole time. <laughs> I apologise. Technology no doesn't problem. come with um, psychology training, so just <laughs> don't worry at all. Just with being a uh, an, an internet-based radio station, sometimes there is that that slight delay there. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, no, thank you for having just, us. <laughs> thank you. Could you? Are you okay just to give us a little bit of information about yourself and then how you got involved with this project? Absolutely. So I'm Anna Simmons. I'm a clinical psychologist. Um, I work in the Nottinghamshire area. I run a company called Elysian Psychology. So we offer mental health sort of support, therapy, assessment to children and adults as well. So we do a bit of everything. The team of us are around 20 now. And Jasmine and I originally met when I was working on the doctorate in clinical psychology, uh, which is based across Lincoln and Nottingham universities. And Jasmine approached me to to produce me. I think it was exam um, preparation, wasn't it? I think Jasmine about anxiety, perhaps about that, how to prepare for exams. So we got to know each other sort of through that. I was producing some small videos at the time, and then Jasmine approached me about the project. Um, you know, potentially would have been interested in this project that she was doing for Miss Great Britain, and absolutely I was. Um, and I know that Jasmine is absolutely passionate about this. Um, and for me, you know, working with young people and also being a mother, you know, I think it's absolutely crucial that we're building resilience in children because it's something we're not seeing in clinical practice um, all the time. And I think mm. obviously the younger you can introduce children to sort of, you know, what can you do when you don't feel great? You know, we're all going to have hard times in life, aren't we? That's for sure. Yeah. Um, and if you can sort of empower children to say to, to know that feelings don't last forever and that you can bounce back from things and actually come back even stronger and better, yeah. that, um, that that will hopefully have a long term impact. It's so interesting. I'm I'm also very interested uh, interested that the the stimulus for this was to do with exam stress as well. What did you explore from this point of view? Uh, Jasmine might be able to help me with this. Um, it was a couple of years ago. <laughs> uh, it wasn't it, Jasmine. We uh, it was more about how to do the the preparation and how to keep you know thoughts. You know, yeah. are really important. Keeping our mind in a good mindset and just just not always listening to our anxious thoughts. And it was sort of based along that approach. I think really, you know that you're bound to normalizing the stress of exams of course and that you know yeah. adrenaline is good for us and all these things you as a, as a professional teacher will know um and sort of just communicating some of those ideas with strategies to uh, university students who of course are well versed in exams by the time they get to um to the point they're at but just some sort of specific strategies to help them manage yeah i'm i'm really interested in this this idea as well of uh students needing to be in under a little bit of stress or as you said it there the the adrenaline kicking can sometimes be helpful uh mm. do you and, and i know from, from a psychologist's point of view what what is is your view on exams i mean are we talking here at, at university level or also from a, a student and a pupil point of view at school um well i have a, a sort of a view based on clinical practice <laughs> i don't know yeah, whether yeah. it would, would, would fit necessarily with a, no, from an education like... perspective because as a, i'm not a qualified teacher of course but what no, i do but... see is that 
you know, exams do put children at pressure. I, I am not entirely sure it is the best way to measure ability. But again, I'm not an educational professional. Mm. You might argue, yes, absolutely they are. And that's what we need to be mm. doing to measure. And I would be open to that. What I do see in clinical practice is, you know, the, the stress that young people are put under for something that isn't always so familiar to them. Because, of course, as you will know and your listeners will know, kind of tests in the classroom are often quite a different experience to going into that huge exam hall with, with uh, you know, in, in, in the real deal sort of yeah. thing. Mocks are close to it. And I think, you know, I don't know how much in schools is paid attention to how do you prepare yourself psychologically for an exam. Um, certainly when I was at school, that wasn't a feature. But it's something yeah. that clinically I often spend quite a lot of time doing with people because, of course, any any anxiety management as Jasmine will tell her experiences, is the preparation beforehand. It's not just getting into the scenario and it hitting you and go, oh gosh, I've got to manage this. It's sort of, yeah. it's it's preempting it, isn't it? And having those strategies in your sort of mental toolbox to be able to draw on. Yeah. Uh, I, I was having a quick look at the uh, the definition of resilient. I'm, I'm an English teacher, self by trade. Oh, okay. And I'm really, intre- <laughs> I'm really interested in the etymology, like where words come from, like originally. Mm. So resilience itself comes from re which is obviously latin for for back or return and then apologies for my uh, my pronunciation here but i think it's celeri which is uh, to leap or to jump so in other words just resilience itself is that is that is that rebound you know it's and it's it, and by it by its definition it's resilience is something that should happen quickly it's almost a spring or a a jump back into position because oh, okay. i i sometimes think of resilience myself and uh, as being almost like a long-term, uh, sorry, like a, like maybe long-term pressures that you sometimes have in you and that ability to to continue going through something. But mm. what's really interesting is that resilience is more about that being able to repel or being able to already, as you say, already have the strategies in place, preempt it and just to almost bat mm. away things. Mm. Uh, I love that definition. That's brilliant. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and it is. It's that. It's, it's long-term things. It's short-term things. It's the ability to, like, say, the university students, for example. I mean, they're slightly older in the age group than the project we do, I'm doing, Jasmine and I are doing. But you know, they know they know how to do exams. They just have to sort of remember they've got it within them. They've done loads by the time they're at university and final yeah. exams. They've done loads of exams, and they're probably pretty good at them to have got to that point. But I think what happens when we're anxious, you know, that we forget who we are sometimes, and we forget that we can actually do hard things. And sometimes it's a case of just being really compassionate to yourself and just reminding yourself that you can do these things that are really hard, that you've done them before yeah. and you can do them again. And that is the bounce back, isn't it? It's bouncing back from this, you know, into bouncing always back into something that I've done before. Yeah, so, so interesting. Uh, Jasmine, can I bring you in here? What Before we go into a little bit more detail uh, from a primary school setting, uh, what, what was your experience of exams out of interest? Uh, we talked here about the stresses to go through. Was it something that came naturally, or that we that needed a, needed a few strategies in the end? Um, I think for me, I always I wouldn't say even though I went through a struggle with anxiety, and it was around the time that I was at university. I never really struggled with exams. And I think that's something just interesting to bring into the conversation as well, because quite a lot of the time when I speak to people um, around like mental health and I talk to them about anxiety and things, they're always quite surprised that I do like pageants now and that I'm doing Miss Great Britain Mm. and they always say wow that's a big you know it's a big thing to go from being anxious to that and actually I think I you know anxiety can be so different for each person and, and focused on different areas of their life and I think that's something to be kind of 
aware of and to think about with young people as well because it doesn't always show up in the ways that you would expect um I mean I was always a very outgoing confident um child I went to theatre school um I'd perform in shows you probably from the outside would not think I was anxious I had a lot of outside Mm. confidence um but that you know, it's it's sometimes the people that are like that, that you don't think to check on or to ask that actually internally they've got a lot more going on. Um, so actually, yeah, I didn't, I always found exams okay, really. I think maybe growing mm. up, going to auditions um, with theatre school and things like that probably helped me with preparing for that kind of stress. But I think it was, it was more in kind of um, social situations in ways or anything that felt out of my control I was always quite a perfectionist um anything where I felt like I wasn't in control of the situation was where I had major anxiety whereas actually things like exams where I felt in control I I didn't find to be that you know to make me that anxious yeah it's really interesting I uh And I've had lots of stressful times of my of of my life as well, especially uh, in relation to trying to please other people. I think and putting pressure on myself in that in that kind of way. Uh, it it was very interesting. A few a few years ago, I was doing some research from a from an English point of view, and I was looking at it. it sound it sounds really random here, but writing horror stories and and what ingredients you need to, need to write a story that's full of tension. And there was this famous uh, writer who who talked about that there's three ingredients of a of a of a dramatic story: anticipation, basically the build-up, of course, uncertainty, and investment. And I always remember thinking at the time, this is it's not just about writing a horror story or something. It's almost like any moment of tension in 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 my life already always have these free ingredients this uh, this a build and that's the reason why exams are such a stressful time because you've got the anticipation the build up the investment you really want to do well and that uh and and again the uncertainty you don't know what's going to happen and i always try and take one of these things that i guess this is my resilience strategy i always try and take one of those things out of the equation and it and it kind of removes it but again i guess, i guess we all I'm an adult and I'm okay at de- uh, developing my own strategies. Uh, and just a bit of a question to to Anna now, but how did you find uh, going going back to strategies here? So we we went full circle here. Jasmine had a had a child and she's thinking more about the primary school and and, and bringing uh, some resilient uh, strategies and, and projects into the primary school. What what strategies stood out for you as being really strong, uh, really strong resilience makers even? In primary school children, do you mean? Yes. Yeah. Um, is is well, there a difference guess... between adults or, or, or can we learn from the primary school strategies, do you think? primary school is where it starts it's like anything isn't it in terms of your psychological kind of level of functioning that it's sort of it's it's installed isn't it within mm-hmm. within um childhood and really when we're thinking about resilience what we what is crucial in developing resilience is the connection and the safety and security of your relationships and feeling safe in the world so safe enough to give something a go and if you fail knowing that 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 doesn't mean you're a bad person or a terrible person you can yeah. try again that sort of thing and that really so a lot of resilience in younger people comes from the support 
around us and from teachers, from parents, from caregivers, um, and that, just knowing that we're still loved and we're deeply loved and accepted, even if, if we don't perform or achieve. I mean, it's interesting you're talking about, you both talked about sort of, I think, perfectionism and, and achievement and things, and there's definitely a specific mm. amount of research on that um, <laughs> that links to sort of achievement-based things. So if I don't achieve, am I, am I not good enough kind of thing? And what we need to present to children is even if you don't achieve, you are good enough. And coming back to your original question about exams really you know is that a lot of people will will see grades as as how good I am as a person not how good my yeah. memory is or how good I am exam technique you know if I don't do well I'm not a great person so we have to in young children sort of disconnect that a little bit I think you know yes okay you might feel anxious you go well you're going to feel anxious of course because you're human and you're going to feel anger yeah. and guilt and embarrassment and frustration and overexcited but you know what you're still a great person that's still okay <laughs> those things define who you are and that if you see comes from the the main relationship with the so the relationship with almost the main caregivers which like I say is teachers and, and parents and what happens is we sort of internalize their voice don't we if you think about I'm going to say to people who are struggling uh, to be compassionate to themselves and remembering that resilient people probably have more compassion for themselves than people that are mm. self-critical is you know who's that voice you know have you got a kind granny somewhere who used to say you know my granny used to say to me just try your best love or whatever and I would just be like <laughs> yeah okay I know you still love me if no I don't do well so that that becomes installed in us so it's teachers they will you know you're installing even not on a conscious level but that internal working model that internal voice of you know I'm good I can try something uh, you know I just need to do my best so that gets installed and then hopefully as adults we can almost consciously build on those things so we can pull that back in or if we don't have that and you may have people listening now who think well my internal critic voice is awful <laughs> or I've got a critical <laughs> inner parent we would call it you know you can change that you know you can choose your thoughts can't you Jasmine and I were teaching this at a workshop fairly recently you can you can kind of pick a different thought you don't have to go with the critical thought you don't yeah. have to go with the bad thought you can you know as children get older and into adulthood you can teach people how to choose the next best thought or to challenge the thought or whatever that might be but in younger children we have to give that to them quite directly so I guess I don't, I don't know your demographic whether it's primary or junior teachers perhaps across both but that installation mm. of that kind voice will be hugely important in terms of development it's resilience yeah it's so interesting do you I, I mean I know you work a lot with 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 young people mm. how much do you prioritize resilience training with them or is it is it quite low down in your list of uh, of priorities I think it's always part of any psychological intervention to be honest with young people because what you're trying to do is you've, you've always got a, a therapeutic goal of course as to what so it might be I don't know for a school refuser going back to school or it might be anxiety social anxiety you know which is what Jasmine was touching on earlier so you've always got, got a goal in mind and of course you know you need to make a young person feel that's achievable and that they can do it so there's always the encouragement and the sort of um, teaching them how to do positive self-talk and really big themselves up in the absence of other people doing it and you know we're anxious particularly we're talking about anxiety a lot aren't we but we get this sort of cognitive bias we pick out all the negatives you know yeah. we will you know it's, it's like if you learn a new word you're interested in words and you learn a new <laughs> word don't you and then you hear it everywhere well that word hasn't suddenly just appeared <laughs> it was always yeah. there but your brain is picking it out it's a selective bias it's picking it out the words not just suddenly appear you know um and so we have to it's about teaching children things like that for example so that they know their brain is naturally going to pick out negative events you know they're going to think about the negative social interaction they've had with their peers rather than the other 10 that were positive that day 
you know so it's so I think resilience just becomes part of I don't know whether we would call it resilience but it's certainly definitely a, a big part of the of any psychological intervention really because it's the empowerment of young people to actually be able yeah. to cope with things that they feel really scared about I find it It's, I could listen to you all day long talking about the the support and the the, the insights you have with young people. Uh, when we're going to have a very short break in a moment, where we go to the news and a few adverts. When I uh, when we come back, we've had some comments from from some listeners and some uh, resilient strategies that they use in the classroom and, and and with young people. And I'd love to see how it links in with the work, Jasmine, that you've been doing and how it links in uh, with. With, with Dr. Anna, what, you, what you've been talking about as well. But thank you so much. Thank you so much for uh, this, this first half of the show. We're going to have a very short break. And when we come back, we will discuss a few things. If you would like to get involved in the conversation, you can tweet at TT Radio 2022 or the hashtag TT Radio or uh, via my uh, tag itself at Jeff underscore Pedley. We'll see you back in a couple of minutes. Thank you. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The Daily Mirror runs a story on school places with headlines claiming that in some areas where schools are oversubscribed, nearly 9 out of 10 parents do not get a place for their child at their first choice secondary school. The article names specific schools in Wolverhampton and Lambeth as the hardest secondary schools to get into, with the primary from Liverpool named as the most difficult to get into. As children return to school for the new academic year, applications for those set to start primary or secondary in September 2023 are set to open soon. The deadline for secondary places is October 31st and January the 15th next year for primary. According to figures published in the article, 83% of applicants got their first choice of secondary school for September 2022, a small increase on the 2021 figure of 81%. The proportion of primary school applicants who received their first choice remained at 92%. A full list of England's most oversubscribed schools is published on the Daily Mirror website. In Scotland, council workers due to go out on strike next week have suspended their action after unions received a new pay offer from local authority leaders. The Unison, Unite and GMB unions agreed to suspend strikes in education and in waste services. The Unison, Unite and GMB unions agreed to suspend strikes in education and in waste services. The high profile waste worker strike has seen rubbish build up in city centres but action was also set to affect schools and early years provision as members of Unison were set to walk out. Aberdeen Live also reports on possible strike action by Scottish teachers after what unions describe as an insulting pay offer. The 5% pay increase was rejected by the Educational Institute of Scotland's Executive Committee and they have opened a ballot for members concerning industrial action. Members of the union have until the 16th of September to vote on the action. Following the return to school for the new academic year, Eastern Eye reports on advice to schools around school attendance. The advice recommends close partnership work with councils, targeted family support and home visits to address barriers to attendance. These form part of a package of new approaches to ensure that more children are in school every day. The Department for Education is also launching a three-year one-to-one attendance monitoring pilot 
aimed at tackling the factors behind non-attendance such as bullying and mental health issues. The scheme will be launched in Middlesbrough this year before expanding to other areas next year. A new attendance data visualisation tool is also expected later in September. In some countries on the continent of Africa, a significant barrier to school attendance comes as a result of pregnancy in adolescent girls, according to Human Rights Watch. The organisation says that whilst many countries now have laws and policies in place to protect girls' education, there are still shortcomings, with at least 10 African Union member countries still having no laws related to protecting the retention of students who are pregnant or are adolescent mothers. More on this story can be found on the Human Rights Watch website. In Wales, mandatory sex education lessons will go ahead in the new school term, as the High Court rules in favour of the plan. A group of five parents lost their legal challenge to block the lessons in a hearing on the 31st of August. The group wanted to withdraw lessons or stop the rollout of relationships and sexual education altogether. The parents had already been granted a judicial review to be heard in November. RSE is part of the statutory new curriculum in Wales, although half of secondary schools are delaying the new curriculum until 2023. This is Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I complete my series on home connection and getting the best performance. The topic today is why is my upload speed lower than my previous episodes? We've discussed bandwidth and the more devices, the more demand, but internet service providers only tend to advertise their download speed. Why is this? Well, because it's higher. Let's take a trip back to the beginning of the internet for general public use. If you're old enough to remember dial-up and what we used to use the internet for pre-2006 when we were introduced to the Facebook boom, the internet was more like a library. You go, search for a book or a web page, use the book for your research, then return it. Traffic or knowledge is mostly one way, downloading to you. The only real use for uploading for the day-to-day -day user of the internet was to request a web page, a very small amount of data, and to send the odd email. Most things we did were all based on downloading. This is called an asymmetric connection. Downloading is given more bandwidth as it's the most used. This to date is still the fact. Most people download more than they upload. With data transmission being restricted by the size of transmission media being used, it makes sense for there to be more bandwidth dedicated to downloading than to uploading. Uploading has become increasingly more important for people since the development of apps like Facebook. Although developed in 2004, in 2006, due to increasingly better phone technology and the trend of documenting your life and posting it for others to see, the speed that you can upload has become more important. However, if a video or image takes a while to upload, we can do something else. If what you're watching stops, it's the end of the world. If this has given you food for thought, I'd love to hear from you. As we return to work, why not get in touch at TT Radio 2022? Follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech for the new academic year. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, welcome back to the Late Late Show on Tuesday night with Jeff Pedley. We are currently talking all about resilience, resilience in our, in our young people. If you would like to make a comment about anything that we have talked about or are talking about, please uh, text into the show via the pod being live 
platform or you can tweet at TT Radio 2022. And I'm really pleased to be joined tonight by Dr. Anna Simmons, who is a clinical psychologist, and Jasmine Foley, who is, who is currently working on a charity charitable project called Raising Them Resilient, which is uh, which which is all uh, focused on building resilience within the primary school setting. Now, we've had a, a, a lots of comments over the last few days about building resilience in young people. And I'm, I'll read a few out. And I'm very interested, uh, Anna and Jasmine, to see how this links to, to some of the things that you've been doing as well. And if if it applies to some of uh, to some of your work within the projects as well. Uh, we've had a text tonight from uh, sorry, a tweet tonight from Becky, who says that at school, uh, perseverance is one of our key values. I model making mistakes and taking risks. We also focus on collective worship where we look at famous people who have been resilient and they focus a lot on the transition between primary to secondary as well jasmine does perseverance play a, a part in your in your project yeah so i guess resilience and perseverance kind of do go hand in hand in a way don't they because i think if i just relate it to a kind of pageant and my experience of that i think Obviously, there's some stereotypes around pageants, especially from the way they used to be. Um, things have changed a lot more now, and it's a lot more about kind of who you are and what you stand for. Um, but obviously, people still have bad perceptions of them. So if whenever I got like a negative comment about what I'm doing mm. or somebody didn't take me seriously because of um, my link to pageants and things, then I, if I didn't have the resilience to bounce back from that, then I wouldn't keep persevering with my journey to Miss Great Britain and doing all the things that I'm yeah. doing. Um, and I have spoke about this before, actually, in an interview. And I think, um, you know, yeah, if we let people, if we let things get in our way, I think it was in relation to the women's football win um, recently. If they let people who told them they couldn't do it stop them from, you know, going for that, then we wouldn't have had they wouldn't have had that win in the same way that if I let people. Um, let the challenges in life basically if I let them get me down and stop me and I didn't have the resilience to bounce back and keep persevering forward then I wouldn't have created the project um I wouldn't be you know impacting all the children you know we've had so many downloads of the resources already you know all those children wouldn't have be impacted and have their well-being um kind of increased and be building this resilience if I hadn't had the resilience to keep going and to persevere. So I guess, yeah, that's kind of how I see that they work together. Yeah. And just as a side note here to do with the, the miss, uh, the miss GB competition, I, I'm sure that some people out there won't know the amount of work and the, the breadth of work that goes into some of to some of the organization with this. Maybe they feel it's just, it, it, it's quite uh, like appearance focused, but it's not, is there? There's so much else that goes into it. Yeah, I think like at the end of the day, you know, it's it's a platform to have a voice. Um, I think that's kind of the, the best way to see it and to look at yeah. it. And anyone, you know, you can approach it in whatever way suits you as a person. Some people do it because they want to build their confidence. Um, some people, you know, there's lots of different reasons people do it the same, the same way. There's lots of reasons why people do different things in general in the world or different hobbies. Um, but for me, yeah, a huge part of it is about the message that I can spread. And that is a 
you know, it's a big part that's taken into consideration now in these competitions. Um, Miss Great Britain looks for somebody who, you know, has something to say and that they're building something that is going to make a real impact and a difference. Um, and yeah, it's, it is such a huge part of it. It's so much more about who you are and what you've got to say than it is about what you look like, definitely. Yeah, it's it's just so good. And I'm so so impressed with everything that you're doing. We we have a question, uh, Anna, from a, a listener here, a regular listener called Noam. And he asked a question, is there any relationship between age and, and anxiety? I don't know if that's one that you could help us with. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, uh, yeah, I did see that question. It's a good question. I think obviously our ability to manage anxiety changes, <laughs> hopefully, as we get older <laughs> with a bit more resilience, but, you know, that that we learn strategies that help us and hopefully they are helpful. I mean, obviously people get into unhelpful coping strategies as well, as, as I'm sure we're all aware of, like drinking, kind of drugs, whatever it might be, addiction. Um, mm. So really age, I mean, you know, I think we're seeing more young people suffering from anxiety. In fact, I reword that there's not more young people suffering from anxiety we're just better at labeling it I think actually perhaps mm. would be more correct and researching it um so really um I don't think there's a direct link between age and anxiety I think you know if you look at older adult populations there's lots of things that go on within that age group around transitions and retirement and health things like that you know and loss so that causes them anxiety so you know you, you know across the board anxiety is present I think in young people and children it's not always labeled and I think one strategy as a teacher and a carer you can definitely implement is to label feelings if you see a child who might be you know showing some signs of anxiety it might sound a bit daft but they might not know that they're anxious whereas an older adult will be able to identify that more readily perhaps so and of course you, you know you get you get children with tummy migraines and pains and feeling sick and things and actually just just holding in mind well that actually could be something to do with how they're emotionally feeling because I think you know we, we don't always link the body and the mind together but of course you know the head and the, the body are not disconnected are they so um I think I think anxiety is sort of across the age and we just learn different strategies as we get older hopefully thank you and excellent answer there i've got a question myself really that's just just come into my head from listening to you there as well i'd like to ask this to both of you really but maybe maybe first jasmine but do you think there is any danger in not having any anxiety as a as a young person say for example that you have a really stable uh sound home life relationship life all the way through until your 20s etc do you think there's any danger in not having any anxiety um did you save me to answer first yeah yeah go on jasmine um so yeah i think i think it would be i mean i'm sure anna will have um some good input on this as well but I, you know, from my personal perspective, I can't imagine that there's anybody that doesn't have anxiety to some extent. Um, I mean, like now, obviously, when I talk about the fact that I suffered with anxiety in my early 20s, I'm talking there about, you know, a level of anxiety where I needed to get help and support from somebody. But we all experience small amounts of anxiety all the time. Like, even, you know, all children, I imagine, experience, even if it's mm. just little amounts of anxiety, do you know that just that, you know, you're a little bit anxious about something that day or whatever, it, even if it's not those huge amounts, um, I imagine, you know, all children do experience that. And I think that's why, to me, this project is so important because actually mm. just helping children to recognize, as, as Anna just said, you know, what these different feelings are that they are feeling, um, and I think I mentioned this to you actually when we caught up the other day 
Um, but I think for me, I was always a worrier when I was a child and it was always like, oh, she's a bit of a home bird. Um, she's, you know, she's a, she's a little bit of a worrier and that yeah. was all it ever was. And I just thought, well, that's just who I am then. You know, I didn't think this is a feeling that I'm getting that I can change or that I can do something about. It was just kind of like, oh yeah, I obviously am just a bit of a worrier, which nobody had bad intentions of saying that. But I think for me, it was always just like, oh, it just must be normal to feel like that. And I never addressed it back when I was young. And I think leaving that over time, it became yeah. kind of a part of who I am. So I never thought to address it until it got to the point where I was, you know, anxious and needed that support. Um, so I'll let Anna jump in and, and expand on that. But I guess that's my perspective. Yeah, thank you. Anna, what do you think about uh, maybe having a lack of anxiety in your youth? And, I, and again, I think Jasmine touched on the point here that it's all relative, of course, that we all experience it in, 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 in relative ways. But uh, is it is it helpful to be completely shielded from anxiety what do you think about the mechanism of anxiety and why we as human beings experience it is essentially to keep us safe you know it's a threat system so you know if you stood on the edge of, the, of a cliff and you didn't feel any fear well you probably wouldn't be you know you'd be dead very soon probably wouldn't you be over the, edge <laughs> of the cliff because you wouldn't have any sense that that was scary so on a very basic biological level anxiety is designed <clears throat> excuse me to keep us safe and it's a threat system that actually we need so it actually stops us from uh, i guess making risky behaviors so it, you know it minimizes risk-taking behaviors you know if you didn't, you know, if you weren't scared about getting hit by a car, you probably would never look across the road. You would go. Do you know mm. what I mean? And and actually, if you think about that, you know, some some people as well who might be scared to try things like drugs or whatever. So actually, their anxiety serves a purpose. It keeps them safe. Yeah. Try something that might be scary. So anxiety actually we do need it to keep ourselves safe i guess what happens when it becomes a, a clinical level it's because it's 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 thing it's kicking in when we don't need it to it's like an alarm system yeah you know, when i talk to clients i'm like it, it's like a car alarm you know you, you can walk past some car alarms and they'll go off and you think well i've not even touched it and others you could be breaking into and it doesn't react so humans are the same our alarm system which is what anxiety is can be different and that's biological it's also what have you seen in your parents or how how self-contained have you seen for people what have you the strategies around you been like in the adults that you've seen um so i, I think it, it it will tell you things like don't do this don't do that thing don't go for that job don't yeah. do that a level don't go into school because I'm, it, it's going to have some negative effect and that's where we have to you know teaching people not to believe our thoughts necessarily because because anxiety is always going to prevent you from doing something yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting to find that dividing line when it becomes a serious threat, you know, that, that, mm. that is worth thinking about to being an, a, you know, an unrealistic threat. I shouldn't go for that job because mm. these things could happen when 90% of the time they wouldn't. And it must be interesting from your point of view, trying to find that that line, do you know, where it crosses into overthinking and unrealistic threat alarms yeah, I guess and I think that's when it starts to affect your sort of daily your quality of life doesn't it and yeah. your, your 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 on your daily living as well and I think most people obviously that come to to see somebody clinically it's because it has got out of hand and they're aware that they're overthinking of course we all get into what we call um cognitive distortions which are essentially thinking errors of overthinking you know of of crystal ball gazing so predicting the future you know if I take this this awful do this this awful thing's going to happen you know, <laughs> if I get on the tube it's going to get stuck you know that sort of thing and we all do because of that of course we do because that's normal yeah. you know 
you want to live in Brussels, it actually, uh, that's, that's a valid threat that the tube doesn't get anywhere. But uh, how do you, <laughs> how do you, uh, we've just had a question here from uh, a listener. How do you think teachers and parents can work together sounding resilient, uh, sorry, surrounding resilience? And it can be a hard one to bring up uh, from an anonymous texter here. Uh, it's it, it's interesting because obviously I'm thinking from a teaching point of view. Yasmin's thinking from somebody who works in schools, but also from a par- probably a parental point of view now. And yourself as a as a psychologist and bringing these different things together. But why do you think it's such a difficult thing to bring up between teachers and parents regarding resilience? I think it's like anything that feels perhaps if you're sort of uh, sort of seen as a lack of something it's it's how do you phrase it in a way that feels like this is an area of development rather than a criticism doesn't it yeah and I think what Becky said earlier about sort of modeling that making mistakes and taking risks is brilliant I mean that's what it's about isn't it it's about modeling to your pupils or your your children um, how you manage things and how you know how you show your own resilience a lot of this is about what do people we pick up so much um, unconsciously and store it so it's about the people that are surrounding um, and I think you know it's a difficult conversation to have but actually phrasing it I guess something like you know I notice that when I have label that feeling for this child or when I sort of reassure them or I support them or you know I encourage them to perhaps think about a solution themselves rather than give it to them that actually really helps them and they seem to be a bit more resilient and be able to face the challenges they have so it might be sort of saying to a parent what you do that is useful or what you've noticed helps that young person yeah jasmine from a parental point of view how confident do you think you will be when your child gets to when your daughter sorry gets to primary secondary school age that you'll be able to have these conversations with teachers um, I think, yeah, as as was rightly said, I do think it can be, you know, a difficult area, especially like as a new parent, you know, I if the nursery said something to me, I might think, oh, do they think I'm not doing that? Or, you know, yeah. some, you know, you have these little doubts, but actually that's why I think what we're doing with the worksheets is, is really, you know, obviously I do think they're great because it's our project, <laughs> um, but I, you know, I think they're really useful because in actual fact you know if you're a a parent that wants to I mean a teacher sorry that wants to introduce this can you use the worksheets with the children at um, school and then encourage them to take them home and share them with their parents and show them what they've Mm. done that day or could you you know do it as homework give them the work the worksheets print them off and give them to the children to take home and actually do at home and encourage the parents to get involved it's ways that you could, I suppose, make sure you're on the same page. I think that's, you know, what's really nice about it. There are just things there, um, yeah. activities that you can do, worksheets that you can do that both the teachers and the parents can use with the children and just kind of get everybody talking and f- and thinking a bit more about feelings and about resilience. Could you give us a little brief overview of some of the content and also how it's been received? Because I know you've been in quite a few schools with this now, how it's been received by students and parents, really. Yeah, so um, the worksheets, you know, there's a couple of different things on there. There's um, kind of looking at feelings and how they feel within the body was one of them. Um, so that the, they can recognize a feeling that they're having and um, there's one like the worry cloud where you can write down worries and then you can think about them drifting away in your mind um, or I think me and Anna talked about a couple of different ways and there was a few in the workshops depending on what the child's like they might want to um, 
send them up in a rocket or, you know, <laughs> however that child might want to get rid of those feelings, depending on each individual. Um, but yeah, there's all different things like that that they can do. Um, I'm trying to think what they all are. We've got like an activity that's dragon breathing, which teaches them um, how to breathe in and then breathe out like a dragon, which is really good in situations where they might need to, um, you know, get out some of those feelings. Um, there's a compliment circle that you can do within a classroom that's about saying something nice about one of your one of the other students in the class. Um, so there's quite a lot of different things that you can do. And actually, when we did the workshops in schools, we only really had to use, I think we probably only got to use like two worksheets max in a session because so much conversation and activity comes out of that and yeah. so many things you can do. Yeah, and... Uh, I know we we briefly joked about this before, but I think uh, as teachers, I think we would love them worksheets. With my workload at the minute, I think I'd be sending them to the rocket, <laughs> sending my rocket to my work list. I'd be fire breathing the dragon and everything, trying to destroy this this to do list. But joking aside, it's actually quite a serious point that as teachers, we really need to model how to be resilient I think as well and if if we come into the classroom and we're not dealing with our emotions if we're not recognizing our anxiety and letting it manifest in uh, in unproductive ways shall we say uh it's 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 a very valid point and a couple of weeks ago I had a guest on and we were talking about uh like mental health of a teacher and, and being fit and it's it's really interesting that there's so much focus placed on our students in our care and we don't eat our lunch sometimes. We don't get up and, and we, we teach our students to have nine hours sleep, etc. And we have four hours sleep. And it's really interesting. I know we've touched on this already quite quite a lot about adult resilience, but I think a lot of the, thing, the things that, you, that you've explored, both of you, just work just as well for adults and especially adults in really stressed uh, stressful situations uh, we've had a comment here from uh, fr from a listener who says that modeling is so powerful that we don't even realize it sometimes it's very interesting as well that i've also uh, and again anna i'd like to bring you in here as well that on a few tweets that I had, they constantly kept saying about modeling solutions, modeling strategies and how to deal with things. How important do you think it is for a teacher to be able to show uh, these strategies? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, um, you know modeling is, uh, I don't know if you just read this comment out, sorry, so modeling is so powerful, we don't realize it sometimes, absolutely, because it's the unconscious that we're pulling in. So you just kind of looking like you are holding it together on your four hours sleep and, and seven coffees before 11 a.m., whatever. You know, you, <laughs> when you look like you're sort of, you, you're holding it together, you do give that air of like, okay, we can do hard things. You know, so it's what is said and what is unsaid as well. And if you think about the age that we've done the worksheets for, it's it's the the... I mean, you know, these kids are like sponges, aren't they? They will pick things up. And I think what we haven't talked about today, and I appreciate we're out of time, is that, you know, a lot a lot of your listeners may be thinking, well, I, you know, I'm working with populations of, of children whose parents perhaps will really struggle mm. to show them resilience or aren't emotionally or mentally very well or physically very well themselves or got the capacity. And there may be children in foster care systems and who, who actually are living in poverty. And actually, mm. this is probably one of the 
and don't have breakfast in the mornings you know sadly we know how much that is the case so you know modeling resilience may not come from home and, it, and it's something that sort of again I feel like so many things fall on teachers you're amazing I don't, how you, <laughs> you, actually, I don't know how you do it I mean managing the emotions of all these children but actually not assuming that they see resilience at home but kind of thinking well if I could show it even if they're getting that duality and they're getting a parent who perhaps isn't resilient and is really struggling for, for various reasons through no fault of their own to see you coming in and holding it together and actually being honest as well you know sort of saying when you're mm. tired or you know sort of saying when you know you might be feeling a little bit you know I've got a lot to do here so you know I feel you know it's okay to model some of that I think we want our children to be empathic don't we you know certainly to my own children I will say to them you know I'm very tired so you know it's likely that I might be a bit crabby today or you know <laughs> or whatever it might and, and but modeling that but then they see me keeping that together don't they and they see me sort of managing that in myself and seeing what I need to do so I think it's hugely hugely important and self-care absolutely and I always think you know my children are nine and 13 um, and I work with children a lot and you know you you have to be number one actually you have to be okay yourself to be able to take care of other people you absolutely have to there's no way we can yeah. take care of other people and their emotional needs and you guys are doing it all academically you know emotionally yeah. um we we have to be um and i think when we when the schools that we have been into um we, the the children have absolutely loved talking about their feelings like jasmine says they they haven't we've only got through a couple of the worksheets because the conversations are brilliant and yeah. what we know is that kids love this stuff and actually i think teachers enjoy it as well the teachers that we've engaged with seem to really get into the conversation and a lot of you know and i think that yeah. seeing those conversations between children and and um, pupils and knowing that those conversations then carry on is brilliant because again mm. they might not be getting that at home they might not be getting parenting that's emotionally expressive or even allows for feelings the space to feel you know may not happen yeah i feel that the uk is i'm i'm based in belgium i've been in belgium now for the last three years and i uh i, I work in a european union school three thousand students 11 to 18 and I feel that the pastoral system in the UK is, is probably 10, 15, 20 years ahead of the, the system that I'm involved in. And I do think we do, we do need to appreciate that the UK system is very good at, at, at embedding this in some of the curriculum now through the PSHE, et cetera, et cetera, and, and, and projects such as what Jasmine and yourself are involved in. And I'm in charge at the moment of a of a project within something very very similar, but working with secondary school students, and there is so much resistance to it from the teachers and the students because it's not embedded. And I think we do need to appreciate that the work that psychologists have done, that people like Jasmine and people the teachers within the system, of how far the UK system has come as well. It's not perfect, of course, but we are in a in a better state than we were 10, 15 years ago for sure. Well, that's nice to hear. And I think there's always a fear, isn't there? If we, if we start talking about these things, that actually people are going to come out of the woodwork and go, actually, yeah, I'm depressed or I'm anxious or I'm struggling with my mental health. And somehow that feels a bit safe and not talking about it. But of course, yeah. not talking about it means it's going to brew up in adulthood into something really significant. You know, we are all sitting here today, probably part of a generation who, who weren't raised to feel or be aware of their feelings yeah. just because, well, there's intergenerational trauma and all the rest of it. But, you know, um, and so actually we, we, but we need to, 
raise the next generations to be able to openly talk about their feelings so they can manage them and they can learn to manage them better through our experiences as well um, so that we can prevent sort of mental health issues in the future but I do understand the fear of cracking people open and going oh gosh okay now you're telling me this and I don't know what to do with it and I think that comes down yeah. to training and that's building confidence in teachers to know what to do if somebody's sharing something with you or having the systems where people have somewhere to go if, it's, if you feel it's not within the role of teaching yeah there's a really good points really good points there I know we are almost at a close we're about a minute before we need to sign off Jasmine I'm very interested uh, just just briefly before we go of your new position as well you were talking that you've been employed by the you're going to be working with the University of Lincoln how are you could you just briefly tell us about this role because again you are <laughs> welcome to the teaching uh, profession really <laughs> thank you um so yeah i actually as i did work at the university previously which is what mm. anna mentioned earlier when i um worked with her but not not in a teaching setting but i was the digital lead on a mental health project there which is where we did the stuff for students around kind of exams and things um mm. so it has you know mental health stuff's always creeped into my um career as well in that way but yeah i start as a lecturer um next month so yeah, really exciting actually. I'm really looking Amazing. forward. Amazing. How are you feeling? To pass on. Yeah, really. How are you yeah, feeling? I'm really looking I'm really looking forward to being able to kind of pass on um I loved my degree, so and I'll be teaching students that are on the degree that I did. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to being able to pass pass some knowledge on to them and support them as well. So I'm I'm expecting to see you back maybe this time next year and you can talk all about university lecturing and a different topic. Yeah, ho hopefully. Hopefully I'll be a fountain of all knowledge on lecturing by then. <laughs> and, very and, and very, very finally, before we, before we finish here, what about the Miss, the Miss GB final? What is the date and, uh, and, and how are you feeling about that? Yeah, you know what, I'm so excited. Um, it's been seven months since I was announced as a finalist and I've done so much in that time. Um, some of the stuff we've touched on today, like I've done wellness events for mums to kind of support their mental health because, you know, they've they've got to be well to be able to pass it on to the children and stuff like there's been so many different aspects to the stuff that I've done in the past seven months. Um, and I'm so proud of it, really, and how I've been able to build it and, and where it's got to. So I'm just ready to just enjoy it next month now. So it's on the um, the grand final, the night's on the 22nd, Friday the 22nd of October. It's in Leicester at the Athena. So if anybody listening is curious <laughs> and would like to see, then you can get tickets to watch. Um, Amazing. Anna, Anna's coming to watch. So yeah, I'm <laughs> wait, just looking forward wait. to enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. And how many competitors are there in the final? Oh, there's been a few more added recently. So I, I know there's over 40 oh. of us in the Miss category. So yeah, it's quite a lot. Wow. Well, I will be supporting you by far. I was going to support Miss Yorkshire, but we don't have a Miss Yorkshire, do we? No. So yeah, you can uh. stop with me, I'm afraid. <laughs> you, you're you a border, like, you, you, you border, don't you, Lincoln? Lincolnshire, it's absolutely fine. My mum's in uh, in works up in, uh, on the, not too far from Mansfield. So yeah, Miss Lincoln, definitely. Uh, I'll be supporting, uh, yeah, from Belgium, definitely. And thank you so much for joining us tonight, Jasmine. And uh, I've, I've really enjoyed speaking with you. 
and yeah, thank you so much you. and thank you so much for, for dr uh, anna simmons as well to for joining just just before we go jasmine can you remind us of the name of your charitable project and how we can find more details on it yeah so it's called raising them resilient the website's www.raisingthemresilient.co.uk um raising them resilient on instagram and then i'm jasminefoley.uk on instagram so you can find me any of those ways absolutely amazing thank you so much and uh dr anna simmons you you briefly mentioned where you where, where you were based and which practice you work within could you just remind us again absolutely yes so based in nottingham but uh, i'm at the company's called elysian psychology um but we offer online support as well in, in terms of therapy so and we, i'm on all the usual twitter facebook instagram <laughs> websites everything simmons is s-y-m-o-n-d-s if you want to find me and do that so <laughs> absolutely amazing thank you so much for your time tonight i know uh i know you're both very busy and uh thank you so much for everybody who has been listening tonight if you would like to say uh or, or contribute to the conversation please contact us at tt radio 2022 on twitter or you can contact me personally at j uh, jeff underscore pedley g j e f f underscore uh, p e d l e y thank you so much for joining us we've got lots of shows uh, and topics lined up on teachers talk radio over the next week please keep in contact with us tune in talk it out and i look forward to seeing you next tuesday when we're going to talk about teaching students with a military uh within the military system so students who move around when parents themselves are involved in the military have a lovely rest of the uh, tuesday night and i hope to see you next tuesday bye bye you've been listening to teachers talk radio Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.